This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. The great state of Wisconsin is home to the only master cheesemaking program outside of Switzerland. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us on heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian foods. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network, Alberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on an aspect of Asian cuisine or culture by having a conversation with the passionate people from the world of Asian food. Today, we're speaking with the dynamic duo behind Little Tong and the soon-to-be-opened Silver Apricot. Big welcome to chef-owner Simone Tong and GM and partner Emmeline Zhao. Hi. Welcome, ladies. Hey. Hi. Thank you for having us. Of course. So first, a little more about our guests here. Simone was born in Chengdu, the capital of China's Sichuan province. Before her culinary career, she studied in Chengdu, Beijing, Macau, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Australia. I'm running out of fingers here. Uh, She graduated from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, with degrees in economics and psychology. And Emmeline grew up in Shanghai and North Carolina and spent her childhood leapfrogging between Chapel Hill, Shanghai, Tokyo, and Sweden. And she graduated from Duke with a degree in public policy and a certificate in policy journalism and media studies. All right, so what cool global backgrounds you guys have. This is just amazing. Um, So curious how you two got into food, though, with such a colorful background. Simone, let's start with you. Tell us about your path to becoming a chef. Cool. Do you want the short answer or the long answer? Uh, The medium answer. Let's go with that. So the passion starts with my passion for eating. Mm. Uh, As most Chinese parents and Chinese family goes, we are very passionate about food. And my parents are also businessmen, art dealers. So when they uh, talk about business or projects, they're always in a restaurant with a lot of food. Mm. Me as a little kid, kind of listen to what they're saying and learning, but mostly I was eating. Yeah. So after 45 minutes, I'll be like done eating and they'll be like, oh my God, all the plates are gone. (laughs) Like (laughs) this kid can eat. So the passion of cooking really started when my mom had a restaurant or cafe in Chengdu. And one day, the cafe in Chengdu was right across from American consulate. One day, this French chef come across into the restaurant. He's like, oh, very nice, very nice. And he's, he, he asked to speak to the owner, my mom. And I, was happened, I happened to be there during my summer holiday. So I translated the whole conversation so mm. the chef wants to be the chef at my mom's cafe called Cafe Forenza. Um, and um, so we had a chef that is Chinese. 
Um, so I had to translate the service uh, from his French English to Sichuanese during service. So mm-hmm. then I discovered the beautiful art of plating, of cooking. He's just amazing. So when I go back to Chapel Hill, I'm like, yo, I can cook now. So <laughs> dinner parties, <laughs> hey, everyone. New skill on top of the econ and psychology I'm yes. studying. So that, that, that started the passion, but I never dared to think that I would be um, a chef because... Yeah, I mean, I went to college and my parents expect me to do something not cooking. Mm-hmm. An then, Asian parent-like career. Yeah, ahead. yeah, tiger moms and such. And then one day I was visiting my college friends in D.C. Uh, we, um, I was watching uh, After Hours with Daniel, Daniel Balut, Chef Daniel Balut, on the first season, third episode, Chef Wiley Dufresne, WD-50. Uh-huh. And I watched it. I was mesmerized by his charm, his knowledge, his uh, way of plating, his uh, playful way of making food that is science and art, a combination of childhood memories and avant-garde. Mm. So I was like, ah, maybe I could do that. So in my naivete, I'm like, I'm going to be a chef. <laughs> so that's like 10 years ago. What a crazy moment. Yeah. I think we all and have to watch that life. episode, yes, given please. how influential it is. Um, what about you, Emmeline? How did you get into food? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> the story is also probably very long. But like Simone, I think the, the passion or at least the, the interest started really young. Um, my, you know, growing up in, in North Carolina, my mother was, so my, my parents came to the States in the, in the 80s. Um, and back in the 80s, it wasn't easy to find Chinese food in the States. And so a lot of what my mom's cooking was based on was kind of what she could find at the farmer's market in North Carolina and make the best of it. So uh, it was a lot of kind of Chinese food made with North Carolinian southern ingredients, mm. uh, which is, you know, a lot of kind of creativeness in and of itself. And I think also a lot of what's rooted in Asian culture. I always say, you know, I think Asians are like the foodies before there were foodies. Right. Um, food is so important in, in, you know, who we as a part of who we are. And so my mom also, as a part of like finding a community in North Carolina where there are so few Chinese families, you know, she was putting together uh, dinner parties and, and hosting a lot. And so I became very much a part of that. And so that started pretty early. Um, I never really thought that it was, you know, anything beyond just a love mm-hmm. or an interest because it was just kind of an everyday thing, right? It wasn't something that you thought about as a career. Uh, so went to the other school that Simone did not go to. <laughs> go Blue Devils. <laughs> Got to throw that in there. Tar Heels. <laughs> it's not basketball season Healthy yet. Healthy rivalry, I assume. <laughs> always. March is, March is always a tough month in our lives. Uh, and yeah, studied everything that was not food and... Like Simone, though, hosted a lot of dinner parties. Chinese New Year was a big thing at my off-campus apartment. And uh, was always watching the Food Network and, you know, became very, very wow, familiar. Wow, TV is having a moment oh, big here. Time. <laughs> okay, hey, big media. time. I mean, also maybe because I wasn't allowed to have cable as a child. So, you know, when you have that little bit of freedom as in your, when you're in college, you just kind of let loose. So I became very familiar with a lot of the celebrity chefs and kind of had my own idols uh, in the food world through that. And also became very familiar with Chef Wiley because of that. So uh, I started my career in journalism 
uh, worked for a number of large publications, covering lots of things that I cared about at the time and still do very much care about. And I think that our world is very much intertwined that, you know, that's a conversation for later. But, um, you know, a few years into my, my career in journalism, I was just kind of antsy, just restless and wasn't feeling like everything I was doing there satisfied my own desires in life. Um, and was just kind of perusing on Craigslist and saw that Chef Wiley was opening a new restaurant and kind of just went for it. Uh, I sent in my resume, wrote a cover letter, which I learned quickly that people in restaurants don't write cover letters. (laughs) So that cover letter got me an interview and uh, the general manager of Chef Wiley's new restaurant at the time, Siobhan Lowe, thanks to her, took a chance on me and hired me having had no experience in restaurants whatsoever. And it kind of just took off from there. Amazing. Is that where you guys met, Simone and Emmeline? Or did you meet first in North Carolina? Oh, no. We had, this is always the best story to tell. We had no idea that we had any background or similar backgrounds whatsoever. Uh, Simone had previously been working at WD-50. She shows up at Alder one day. And we're like, who is this person that just like shows up out of nowhere and is working like in the kitchen and is like Chef Wiley's best friend? And um, we kind of crossed paths, you know, between front and back of house a little bit, kind of got to know each other a little bit, but very, very briefly, just, you know, post-shift drinks and things like that. And then one day, Simone is in the basement of Alder, and she's butchering a fish. And... You know, she's got like scales all over her hands and I'm running downstairs. It's like two minutes before service is supposed to start running into the locker room to grab something. Uh, and Simone goes, Emmeline. Like, <laughs> very sharp <laughs> call. And I said, yeah, yes. <laughs> it was, you know, it was very, very definitive. And she says, Emmeline, why aren't we friends? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you just made up your mind. Yes, because <clears throat> so in an enclosed space, mm. there's another Asian mm. who's taller than me <laughs> and louder than me. And that's rare. So I've had enough of her voice around me. She's always like, we got to do this. Let's be quiet, guys. She wasn't even the leader, right? Mm-hmm. But she felt like she's so type A. She's yeah, so Yeah, you efficient. saw that leadership quality yeah, in her. I, I was like, either I'm going to be like, around. <laughs> pretend not to know her or I, just, I should just make friends with her. Ah, uh, yes. So I took the first step. Yeah, and... She forced me to help put my phone number into her phone with her scale-covered hands. (laughs) And in doing so, also, I don't know if it was on purpose or inadvertently, spelled my name incorrectly. (laughs) And up until probably three months ago, my name was spelled incorrectly from that first encounter. Uh, and we finally corrected it's my endearing. <laughs> yeah. Now I just correct everybody's uh, pronunciation of her name. They're like, Emmeline? I'm like, no, 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 no. Emmeline. Mm, Like Caroline. Yes. Yeah. Listen to Chef. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so how do you guys uh, divvy up your roles in this partnership? What does that mean? Um, How do you divide up your uh, skills and what is, you know, what is your focus, Simone, versus Emmeline's? I mean, I think Simone's response to that question kind of also... It answers that a little bit. You know, there's, there's a lot of overlap in the work that we do, and I think fluid. that, yeah, yeah. I, well, you know, and Simone could definitely speak to this too, where, you know, we have our core responsibilities for sure, just to keep the engine running. Which is what you'd say. I hire and train my back of the house, um, and she hire and train the front of the house. Um, that's mostly what it is. 
Yeah, I think that if you're, there's definitely the more traditional delineation of, you know, front and back duties. But then I think that our work together is perhaps a little more unconventional because of how much we collaborate. Yes. Uh, I am constantly asking her and seeking her input on not only staffing and training, but even just like high level, big picture kinds of things. Uh, And the same goes for Simone and vice versa. Yeah. Mm. I trust her taste in food. Um, I bounce my ideas to her. Menu concepts, new dishes. Yes. And she understands me. She translates what I was thinking. So my sentence don't really make sense to a lot of people, but she's like, oh, I get it. And I'm like, that's great. I speak Simone, in other words. <laughs> yeah, and it's so hard to find in life. Yeah, wow, what a partnership. That's amazing. So um, tell us about Little Tong, basically how it started and how it's evolved since then. Little Tong is, um, first Little Tong is... Uh, uh, Was it the foundation of Mi Xian that you were introducing there? Yes. The, so the first little town located in East Village. Now we have two locations, about mm. to have three. Uh, the first little town is inspired by this province called Yunnan in China, southwest region, a beautiful romantic province. What makes it romantic? Oh, so many reasons. But mostly what makes it romantic is the people. Mm. The people are genuinely very nice as, long, as far as the people that I have met there. Uh, and the scenery. Mm-hmm. There are mountains, there are snow mountains, there are tropical rainforests, uh, there's plateaus, and then the religion that belie- they believe in, the language that they spoke, there's like 26 different minorities of all different kinds of language, wow. costumes, traditions, cooking styles. They're very, very exotic and renegade of part of China that nobody really understands. We have a stereotype of what Chinese food or Chinese people or Chinese made in China is, and Yunnan sort of overthrown all of that mm. for me at least mm-hmm. uh, so I encourage everyone when they travel through China well you know in, in addition to stopping in Shanghai the beautiful flourishing city Shanghai Hong Kong Beijing they should also go west to Yunnan I mean obviously Chengdu Sichuan it's great food but go to Yunnan and experience the high mountain of poor tea and um, the barbecues or the hot pot, the mushroom mm. hot pots, where you have, in during the seasons of uh, July, August, you have 50 different kinds of, or more, ex- exotic um, mushrooms that wow. you, you've never heard or seen before, and they are so amazing. Matsutake, uh, white truffles, black truffles, they used to feed them for, to pigs, now they cook it with uh, noodles <laughs> or stir fry. <laughs> Um, and tea and rose, where they, they make a lot of um, um, rose jams, flowers, mm-hmm. they eat a lot of flowers. So with that as a background, um, they also eat a lot of rice noodles. They call mi xian, which literally translates as rice threads. Uh, so I traveled to Yunnan and studied their local cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, and inspired by the region um, and the people, we created a, a modern contemporary uh, Chinese cuisine in Little Tong. Uh, majority based on Mi Xian as a foundation. Mm. And when you uh, went to China, when you went to Yunnan to travel, did you have that intention already in mind or was it while you were there that the concept came to you? Um, yes, I, I would say I had the int- intention to study Mi Xian to understand and taste. I grew up eating a lot of that, mm. but I've never eaten that in Yunnan. 
And I also always said I am not from Yunnan. I'm not making traditional Chinese food from there. It wouldn't be fair for the people, um, and it wouldn't be fair for my style. Uh, it's always an inspiration. It's always an inter interpretation, inspiration. And when I bring it home to New York, uh, we cooked with the beautiful memories of that, and mm -hmm. then we use local ingredients and the best techniques we can to. Uh, realize all the flavors of the food and ingredients and bring it alive. And how has your menu changed over the last couple of years? We change the menu all the time. Um, we change the menu for Chinese New Year's, for um, Christmas, for Thanksgiving, for uh, Mid-Autumn's Festival, for just for different seasons, different emotions, different inspirations. Comes so upon. it's not just Mixian or Yunnan cuisine now. When did you yeah. make that uh, switch? I think gradually and organically. I can't re remember exactly which month or time. Mostly in conversations with our customers, our friends, with Emmeline, even with um, my PR team. Yeah, because when you make a food, when you make a dish, you first uh, con um, think about it in your head, during your shower, <laughs> on your way to the farmer's market or after a movie. It's like, it's very organic. And then you made it and you look at it and you taste it and you get Emmeline to taste it. She's like, oh, I think we should do this. I think the crunch should be this this way. I think it's generally good, but I think we should. And then a few back and forth of this and then I will make it uh, for a week or so. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, you know what, Emmeline? I found a better way. So usually I text her like seven o'clock in the morning or 2 a.m. I'm like, I, I think we could do this better. And she's it's like, like oh, a that's... microcosm, and you guys are just like swallowing up ideas left yeah. and right. And I mean, together, we, we really improve one another's ideas, each other's ideas. Um, so you mentioned you listen to your customers and your mm -hmm. diners and the community around you. What did they say that was, you know, something that was interesting for you or surprising for you? Um, usually, they would say. It's good, thank you. You know, when servers <laughs> ask them, I'll accept that. But after uh, a few months, you'll see that they come back at it again and again. And when I do see they come back again and again, and we be we become friends, we make friends with them. Like, hi, Robert, hi, uh, Noma, uh, how are you? And then mm -hmm. they will tell you more honest opinions oh. after a glass or two of wine, <laughs> like your and family. Is, yes, and this is up to you to um, to be like, oh, I trust that you're honest with me. I thank you for that. And I make changes. And also by, I mean, I think Emily could tell you more about the observations she has with our uh, friends and uh, uh, guests. But I, I think that the, the number, like the, the way that they order food will also tell you. Mm -hmm. Like the top 20%, the least 20%. But you've got to give some time to new dish. Um, sometimes I say, Emeline, like, I think we like it, but nobody likes it. She would be like, give it some time, chef. Yeah, is there an example of that? Um, I think that the things that we struggle the most with uh, are probably the things that are not inadvertently or not so obviously Chinese. I think when when people think about a Chinese restaurant, they have a certain idea of what a Chinese restaurant is in their head. And when they first come to our restaurant, that's what they think about. And when what they see on the table is not what their expectations were, then there's a little bit of a kind of, not necessarily hesitation, but a little bit of just confusion, mm. perhaps. Yeah. And that's a 
in my opinion, that's a really great thing because we, like Simone said, we're not trying to be, you know, China in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And also folding into the feedback that we get from guests. It's a lot of just, you know, we're a Chinese restaurant in New York. We're a New York Chinese restaurant. And that's why the feedback matters because we're here to be a restaurant for the community that we're in. Mm -hmm. We're not here to be a restaurant for the folks that live in Rinan. They're doing their thing. They're doing it so incredibly well that we can't even fathom trying to mimic that. But what we can do is to be the best that we can possibly be for the folks that we're here for and in the neighborhood that we're in. And so I think, you know, off the top of my head, probably some things like, well, the the beef dumplings with the cheese skirt that is kind of blowing up right now. In the beginning, folks are kind of like, what are you doing putting cheese on dumplings? Like, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, or like our JB melt in Midtown, mm-hmm. you know, at first they're like, you put a scallion pancake and some cheese and some beef shank and like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And you give it some time and the city responds. Mm. And we had a gentleman bike all the way over. So, you know, we're in Midtown East, our, our second location is in the heat of August. He's wearing <laughs> on a, a city bike. <laughs> on a city bike, actually, though. <laughs> Very New on York. On a city bike. He's wearing a suit and a tie. He walks in and he's dripping sweat, takes off his jacket. His shirt is soaked through <laughs> and he pulls out, he pulls out New York magazine and there was a, there was this. a spread. He shows it to me and he says, I want this. And I said, sir, can I get you a glass of water? <laughs> wow, I and love how focused New Yorkers are. Yeah, he said, I saw this. I had an hour for lunch. I needed to come get it. Sat down, wiped, down, wiped off his sweat, took his jacket off. And he said, this was the best thing I've had in a very oh long time. When you satiate that kind of craving... And you work for it. Oh my gosh, what a cool story! Yeah, and you when you hear people saying that anything is worth, everything is worth. Yeah, it. Uh, just just so folks know, Yunnan is a province that they do make cheese. They make this buffalo cheese that is kind of similar to mozzarella, mm. and they dry, they stretch it, and they dry it in between two bamboo sticks. And then once it's, once it's dry, they grilled it and they put rose jam. Oh my gosh, sounds so great. So So we're telling listeners, basically, take a month off, visit China. (laughs) You gotta hit all the main points, and especially Yunnan. And eat all the Chinese cheese, (laughs) you know. Exactly. Um, So what can we expect at Silver Apricot now? Surprises. Surprises. (laughs) What's the evolution look like? Wow. It's very humbled, and it's very scary, and it's very nerve-wracking, and it's very stressed. Okay. <laughs> and with all of that, I hope I'm, we are going to come up with something great. Yeah. Um, it's still, everything's under construction. It's in the heat of everything is not falling in place yet. Mm-hmm. But it's we, a restaurant world. Yes, and, we promise, takes a while. and we promise to make it happen as soon as we can. Mm-hmm. So I'm still in the process of sourcing ingredients. Like today, I talked to a purveyor. They've, they've been very nice to me, D'Artagnan. I've been, you know, t- like these two days, I've been talking about the size of ducks. Like, <laughs> and um, quail and squab and grouse. And I'm like saying to them how the size matters and the quality and the flavors. I wanted to like maybe... 
um, hang it, dry it for like two weeks. How、mm-hmm. does that flavor will come through, and what is the best seasoned?、Uh, what kind of mushrooms we have? So it's still in conversations because I want to focus so much on seasonality,、mm-hmm. using、uh, classic traditional Chinese techniques, but also the things I learned from Chef Wiley, the、um, the more contemporary French, Japanese, American. Techniques、mm-hmm. together will make an amazing food for New Yorkers. I know it's very vague, <laughs> but because this is what's happening in my brain today, you're being、um, honest about it. I am. What, what does the、honest. name mean? Silver apricot. Emlankin. <laughs> I can't wait for people to know what that means. <laughs> so, if you're familiar with ginkgo, which is a tree that produces、um, a, an ingredient that's very Specific to it's actually Chinese, so it's commonly used in Chinese medicine, Chinese cooking.、Uh, it is, I would say, as essential to Chinese cooking as you know cinnamon is to pumpkin pie. And unfortunately, ginkgo was taken around the world and explained to the world by a, I believe, a biologist or a botanist.、Uh, but he used the Japanese word for ginkgo. Uh, in Chinese, it is actually yingxing, but the Japanese pronunciation of those same two characters was ginkgo, and、oh. so then it was thus anglicized for the rest of the world as ginkgo. Probably for the best though, because yingxing is very difficult for <laughs> for most Westerners <laughs> to pronounce. But the transliteration of those two characters, ying is silver, xing is apricot. Oh, so we took the English words for those two characters and. Um, made that our restaurant name. That's so great.、Um, so, in your silver apricot mission statement,、um, you mention this phrase, and I'll just read it. Now, just over a century after American Chinese food first took off, we're at the precipice of a coming of age for Chinese American food, which for years has been entangled in misnomers of fusion or inauthenticity. Do you mind unpacking that a little bit for our listeners?、Um, kind of speaking to the difference between American Chinese versus Chinese American food, and why now it is the time for Chinese American food. Oh man, sometimes, <laughs> a, sometimes I wish I, I knew what I was saying when I was writing these things and regret sometimes. No, okay.、Uh, no, I feel you. <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like every journalist in the world would understand this. Where you know, two weeks after you write something, you're like, what? Uh, no, but no, no. It, in in all、It's、seriousness,、true. this、um, we very much I think are in a coming of age moment, and as Simone has been talking about, kind of the food element of silver apricot, and she just said, you know, this is what's happening in my head today. This has been kind of our experience every single day for the last few months, where we have. Just been racking our brains and trying to wrap our heads around like what the identity of who we are is, and how do we fold that into the identity of the restaurant? And I think now more than ever, and this is something that I think many many Asian Americans can can relate to. Identity is something that we've very much struggled with throughout our lives here,、uh, whether it's as You know, first-generation immigrants, or as first-generation children of immigrants, there's never really been a moment where you've, or I have been able to definitively say, like, this is who I am.、Uh, 
in your, if you're in the U.S., you're not American enough. If you're in China, you're not Chinese enough. And so, like, who are we really? And so I think that when we talk about being Chinese-American versus American-Chinese, it's a lot of kind of... I, I was thinking about this today. The best way that I've been able to quantify or qualify this in just a few words is Chinese-seeded but American-grown. And I think that that kind of is the fabric of who we are, where a lot of our culture and our, our understanding of, you know, our basic fundamental understanding of a lot of things uh, is very much deeply rooted in where our parents come from or where we came from. Um, but a lot of how those fundamentals have developed, um, our ideas about the world, our philosophies that have grown come from our experiences as, as Americans. And I think that that's something that we really, really want to show through Silver Apricot, because as you mentioned in, in our statement, you know, for centuries, Chinese food has been something that was transplanted mm -hmm. from China and either just plopped here and just they hoped that everybody here would accept it or it was tailored and manipulated and catered in such a way that it catered to an American palate. Right. But never was it really saying, we're going to take what we came from and marry it with what's available here and allow that foundation of being Chinese to be molded by the environment that we're in. And that's really what we want to be able to do with Silver Apricot. Yeah. And that is essence of Chinese cooking is to embrace the time, the land, the people, the now, so that we are cooking for the people and celebrating harvest now and then going towards the future without forgetting the past. The past is the techniques that has brought us through centuries of being Chinese. But now let's celebrate whatever that's growing um, and all the good mm -hmm. work that the farmers has bring up and then really showcase the true beauties of food. Oh, you're getting me so excited. <laughs> I can't wait to try this. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a really quick break, and we'll be right back with more Feast Meets West. Yay. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that 90% of Wisconsin's milk is made into cheese? And this is not just any milk. When Swiss, German, and Italian cheesemakers first settled into Wisconsin, they chose their new home because of the special terroir of the region. Its soil and water are nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin produces 25% of all cheeses made in the U.S., and Wisconsin cheeses have won more awards than any other state or country in the world. How did they do it? Wisconsin cheesemakers combined their heritage and tradition with nonstop innovation. They were the first state to establish cheese grade standards and the first to require that every cheese plant be overseen by a licensed cheesemaker. Wisconsin is the only place outside of Europe where one can pursue an elite master cheesemaker certification. All of these impeccably high standards mean Wisconsin produces more than 48% of the nation's specialty cheese. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Diane Stemple, 
And I'm Elena Santigade, and we're the hosts of Cutting the Curd here on Heritage Radio Network. Featuring interviews with makers and mongers and everybody in between, this show is a downright funky look at the world of artisan cheese. You can find Cutting the Curd wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West. Um, So I know that you guys have lived in many cities and have traveled all around. Um, And I'm sure, well, of course, with the um, Yunnan uh, trip that has really inspired you. Mm -hmm. um, Where else do you draw your influences from? Hmm. Wow. North Carolina. (laughs) The South. (laughs) The South. Um, The barbecues. The, the shrimp and grits, the biscuits, the gravy, the southern hospitality, the southern ah. hospitality. It it was a great time, um, great memory. It's the first beautiful memory I have for the country, um, and make me uh, make me want to come back and make me want to be American. Mm-hmm. So, always thank Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, also. Uh, Tundu. Mm-hmm. Tundu, I always go back um, until I graduated from college. I um, always go back every summer, every winter time to visit my grandmas, my grandpas, mm-hmm. my relatives, my cousins. Uh, all the good food that um, I had there, I had a great me- memory of that. Um, spicy, tingling, exciting. The other place is, it's all the south. Mm. Southwest China, <laughs> southern kind of... Uh, um, Sorry, uh, uh, North Carolina, which is the south of America, and Southeast Asia, which is Singapore. Um, I've lived eight years, my teenage, my teenager uh, years. Mm-hmm. Um, formidable years. Yes, formidable years. Beautiful. Great food, laksa, chicken rice, prawn mee, mee goreng, miso dough, uh, curry head, mm. uh, roti prata. I love all the Singapore food. Yeah. So Global all these influences. spice, <laughs> yeah. different s- sort of spice um, from all over the, the, the Asia and North Carolina really helped me to see the co- different colors and flavors of food. Um, and having lived and traveled in China mm-hmm. um, for quite a while, do you see the cities changing? Um, you know, like the food scene and the urban development, the the standard of living or that the people there are you um excited by this kind of change or yeah we i mean we are the people that grew up um for the last 35 years see the most um the most for any country right mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. last 35 years china is probably the most impressive in its change that's in in um what is that that's a saying that um the constant change is the only thing that's constant yeah, I like that one. Yeah, um, people has like your many really experience changes there. Um, my my principle is if the people are happy there, if the people I've talked to, my cousins, if they're happy, that's the most important part. I believe in the happiness of people. Yeah. So yes, of course, definitely changes. Um, it's it's in, exciting to it's, see. Yeah, it's all dimensional. Um, the cities are different. The villages different, schools, shopping malls different, cars like restaurants also exciting different. Um, 
Um, and you guys are in New York now. Yeah. Uh, you've chosen New York. Do you feel settled? Is, is this home? Is it it? Absolutely. Home, uh, it's the very reason why I decided to build restaurants here, to make good partnerships, to develop relationships with um, trained cooks, mm -hmm. beautiful family that we have in restaurant life, sisters that I have made, friends that I have made. Um, it is not home away from home anymore. This is home. It's home. Yeah. That's great. Um, and what would you like to be your legacy here? Wow, that's that's a very <laughs> big question. question. It is always the dream to, and the goal is to just paint another beautiful color, mm -hmm. or a spectrum of colors, or di different stories. Tell different stories um, among all these many many stories of Chinese restaurants, uh, Chinese lives, American Chinese lives in in the country. So hopefully you know, 30 years, 50 years down the road when, this is how I imagined, when the uh, kids, kids and families, kids and parents, when they mm -hmm. decided, oh, today we want to do Chinese. They'll be like, oh yeah, we can do Chinese today. They go to groceries and cook their own Chinese food. Well, whatever um, race or ethnic group you are. Or yeah, let's go to anywhere. Doesn't have to be Chinatown. Chinatown will still exist, but there mm -hmm. will be many different kind of restaurants in the country and different kind of cuisines whether they be old new um and there's just more, it will be more than the beloved kung pao chicken or tofu it will be something uh, extremely different yet super delicious i yeah. think i was um kind of riffing on that i i was i was quoting herb kelleher to my to my staff during pre-shift today if you're familiar with him he was the founder of southwest airlines and uh, one, I'm going to completely botch this quote, but one of the things that he said that um, has always resonated with me is that you can't accomplish anything big if you're constantly thinking about doing those big things. Uh, you have to do little things in order to achieve the, those bigger things. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to being in restaurants and in, in hospitality, it's when you're talking about legacy, it's it's so hard to say like what do we want or what is going to be that you know be all end all goal. But I think that you know what we're doing right now is just taking it a day at a time. And when we talk about being a part of the community, about you know having conversations with our neighbors, if you know if we were able to touch somebody's day, touch somebody's life in the two hours that we have right. with them in our restaurant, if they feel like they can escape whatever they need to escape, or if they feel like they can be immersed in whatever they need to be immersed in with us, then we'll have done something good that day. Yeah. Just Very hope that, that we can experience keep doing it. That memory that they'll cherish forever. Um, so when can we expect Silver Apricot to join this colorful palette of New York restaurants? So we have three months, less than three months for this year. We are really working <laughs> hard to have it open Going before, <laughs> before um, 2019 ends. What mm -hmm. do you think, Emmeline? Can we do it? Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Add oil. Um, and then what about for the Little Tongs? Are you going to be expanding um, across the city in other cities? What's the plan there? Um, right now, we are focusing in opening our third Little Tom Baby. Ooh, triplets. Um, that's going to be in a 
food hall called Deco. It's in the Garmic district. Um, together we have um, six different restaurants joining us. We're part of the oh, cool. six or nine. I can't Is really there a remember. theme or? Yes, uh, it's the flavor of New York. Mm, okay. <laughs> so we will Very be the only open. Chinese or yeah, Chinese in the food hall. That's great. And when did you say that was? Um, also in the fall. Awesome. Okay, busy times ahead. Very busy. Um, okay, before we wrap up the show, I'm going to um, do a quick round of um, quick fire questions with y'all. It's meant to be fast, so Ooh. just share what comes to mind first. Okay. What's the best thing you ate recently? It can be out, at your restaurant, or at home. Um, um, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, the burger at Emily. Iconic. Uh, I was recently at Eight Table in San Francisco. They had a pretty amazing pork belly. Yum. Um, what is a dish or flavor that might have initially tasted foreign to you, but now that you love? Um, that's. Diff- oh yes, um, the is it called a sweet chili pepper? What is it called in Spanish? Ahi. Oh, ahi dolce. Ahi dolce. That was amazing. Where did you have that the first time? I had remember? a bite of it in Union Square Market. <laughs> <laughs> what is this exotic flavor? <laughs> it is. It, it smells and tastes like. Uh, it smells like um, habanero, but it's not spicy. Oh. I mean, I'm sure a lot like of people it, are yeah. familiar with it, but that was. For amazing. me, it's just spice in general. Mm. I I was, you know, growing up. As Shanghainese, you know, our, our flavor profile is sweet and salty. Mm-hmm, and so right. uh, Simone has turned me around on that. So <laughs> credit to her. Um, now that we're in fall mode, what's a seasonal ingredient you're excited to use or a dish to make? Oh, I'm super excited to use pumpkin. Pumpkin's a great uh, f- uh, love for Chinese, also yeah. American. All sorts of pumpkins. All sorts of pumpkins. Even I recently um, roasted the little dry pumpkins that we usually use for decoration. Oh my god, yes. And I did like 280 <gasps> for two hours. It's uh, like so sweet and fragrant. Beautiful. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. Keep that in mind. I'm, I'm also all about the pumpkin, but just so we have some variety, I'm also looking forward to just having an excuse to eat loads and loads of pecan pie. Mm. That's very Southern of you. I know. Oh, so delicious. <laughs> all right. If you weren't busy making Chinese-American food right now, what would you be doing instead? I would be playing tennis <laughs> and playing guitar. Those are my two new hobbies, just to get my mind away and learn something new. Not good at it at all. I'm not the cook, so I don't know if that question applies to me. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be um, pursuing your journalism? I don't know. I have no idea where I would be right now because honestly, when when Simone called me a few years ago, I was mm-hmm. in, the, in the process of applying to business schools, and I'm pretty sure I was on the app, on the interview circuit when I got the phone call from her. So, I have no idea. <laughs> um, is there anything? Uh, you would apply from your past careers or your past studies to your current role now? Hmm. I think a lot of, I don't know about you, Simone, but I think a lot of my past background, I, I do think that a lot of your past background applies to a, 
everything that we do every single day. And I think that we've been able to build what we've been able to build and have a team that we, the team that we have because of the lessons that we learned from our past lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, we draw a lot of managerial and operational inspiration, not from our experience in the restaurant world, but from our experience in other industries. Um, Like I kind of, I mentioned this very briefly before, but I think that our world is so intertwined, but we, we think in such silos. And I do believe that we can learn a lot from each other if we learn more to integrate our, our knowledge mm-hmm. and our experiences more. I think um, the psychology part of the people, check in with your employees, your cooks. Yes. It's very important to make sure that they feel safe, feel happy, mm-hmm. feel inspired. Um, and I'm still learning and trying very hard to how to make our team um, work more coherently mm-hmm. um, and see this as their family as well. And I'm beginning to see that a lot of my my cooks and the front of the house, the servers, they are happy to just spend time with one another outside of work. Yeah, and, and that, that makes really you self- happy. Yes, like a mother. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm yesterday I was like, Jessica, why aren't you why are you still sitting at the bar? She's like, Chef, I, I like it here. Is it okay? I'm like, yes. As long <laughs> as you emoji. wake up on time for work tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's totally fine. Yeah. I'm I think they they are growing um they're growing together very strongly. Amazing. Well, I'm so impressed with what you guys are building. Um, thank you for all of your answers and for chatting with us. Thank you so much for inviting us to this beautiful stage. Yes, <laughs> thank you for having us. All right, that wraps up our show. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. As always, we appreciate your support, and it would mean so much if you could leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back in a couple weeks, that's October 2nd, with another awesome conversation from the world of Asian food. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to find out more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.